0: Hello and welcome to MPB's At Issue, where we discuss and debate the issues facing the Mississippi legislature. I'm Michael Guidry. The 2024 legislative session is well underway, with lawmakers now entering their second month at the Capitol. The session got off to a fast start with a phony bomb threat on day one, then two special sessions called by the governor, and early action on scores of important issues, including a new electric vehicle battery plant in Marshall County. Here's Governor Tate Reeves.
1: This project will be an over $1.9 billion capital investment
0: in Marshall County, and it will create 2,000 new jobs. Two new Amazon Web Services facilities in Madison County. This project we'll be finalizing is at least a $10 billion
1: investment in our state.
0: Speaker of the House Jason White gave a promising economic forecast.
1: We look good from a cash standpoint, and so I don't see this impeding our ability to fund the things that are important and that that are the priorities um, of the legislature this year and in future years.
0: Lawmakers in the House clashed over a new ballot initiative proposal. House Minority Leader Robert Johnson of Natchez criticized the bill's limited scope.
2: So the rights of the people of the state of Mississippi, their constitutional right to have their voice heard, you're going to prohibit that. when it it deals with a subject that you have a certain opinion about.
0: Independent Shonda Yates of Jackson also questioned the measure.
2: Are we really giving the voters the ability to substantively affect change if we are able to amend their petition and then change what they pass at the ballot?
0: The ballot initiative resolution passed the House by a vote of 80 to 39 and now heads to the Senate. A bill to legalize online sports betting in Mississippi is heading to the Senate for consideration. The House passed the Mobile Sports Wagering Act by a vote of 97 to 14. Republican Casey Yure of Socher is the bill's primary sponsor.
2: So my number one goal was to protect our bricks and mortar casinos that have invested billions of dollars in Mississippi.
0: And a bill helping low-income pregnant women get access to prenatal care has passed the House with wide bipartisan support. Dr. Anita Henderson is a pediatrician from Hattiesburg.
2: We are thrilled that the Mississippi House has passed presumptive eligibility for pregnant women. It will allow women to get that first OB appointment in a more timely manner. So hopefully we can address some chronic medical conditions, high blood pressure, diabetes, um, any other major medical condition because we know that a healthy pregnancy is more likely to result in a healthy full-term baby.
0: Those are just a few of the issues already addressed by the Mississippi Legislature. Each week on that issue, I'll have an in-depth conversation with one key player in the legislative process. I spoke with Lieutenant Governor Delbert Hoseman this week to get his overview on the current session. I first asked him whether the Senate would take up the House's ballot initiative bill. The version that passed the House differs greatly from the past ballot initiative law that was struck down by the state Supreme Court. Among the many differences, it
2: expressly prohibits ballot initiatives related to abortion. Well, anytime the House sends anything over, it's 122 people. A majority of them have voted on something, so I think we ought to consider it. And uh, that is across the board, whether it be a ballot initiative or not. <clears throat> so I I pay particular attention if that got voted on by uh, the House, which is a Republican majority as well. Um, then I want to pay attention to what's coming over here. So the answer is yes. And yes, I am uh, right to life, and I believe that abortion should be excluded. Um I don't get to vote. <laughs> you know, I, do. I get to assign it to the committee, but the committee will make those decisions. And I expect that they'll do their good work. Um, there are things in the bill that they may want to change or not change. I, for example, I think um, having a legislative alternative on the ballot is very confusing to citizens. Mm-hmm. So there'll be some things that we'll, I'm sure our committee will be addressing. The number of actual people uh, sign. I've, I've been pretty clear in my own mind. I don't want five, six, seven percent of the people um, being able to determine what the other ninety-five percent of the people, ninety whatever percent of the people, have to vote on or be uh, subject to, and that's why you elect uh, a legislature. But if we're out of whack here and the and the people belo- enough percentage of the people believe we ought to address something like that, uh, then we should.
0: And any measure that comes out of uh, out of the the capital, it would have to be a constitutional amendment. That's correct. It had uh, to be voted on. It and, and had to be ratified by the
2: people. That's correct.
0: And, and so it's just hypothetically, and you, you mentioned your, your, your stance on right to life, and obviously a supermajority in both chambers uh, to clear that two-thirds threshold. But when it comes to the, the people, if, if this initiative goes to the people and the people reject elements of the ballot initiative, are Legislators, the Senate and uh, your leadership willing to go back to the table and, and find a, 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 another way forward?
2: Yeah, I hope we wouldn't have that. Um, I hope that whatever is uh, proposed by the House and the Senate uh, gets, first of all, gets signed by the governor, obviously, and then goes on to the ballot. And I would hope uh, that we, that it would pass on the ballot. Uh, we've gone through all of this work to make sure there is a ballot initiative. The biggest ballot initiative was last November. <laughs> when everybody got to vote. So um, I want to make sure that um, that it goes forward. I'm hopeful that whatever we come out with, uh, all of my members in the House will support and hopefully the general population will support.
0: And, and another thing that the House has already kind of moved on is presumptive eligibility for, mm-hmm. for pregnant women Medicaid. Uh, and that kind of in, in the in the bigger picture of just addressing, you know, the health care crisis in Mississippi, some things have been done. Uh, I think, you know, leaders in, in the medical field, in the health field, uh, are asking the, the, the lawmakers here to do more. Uh, what does that look like for, for you in the Senate? Uh, does it include presumptive eligibility? Does it include other expansions of, of Medicaid?
2: It does, uh, and I think we should pass presumptive eligibility, and I think that makes common sense to me. Uh, as you know, we were the leader here in the Senate, and um, I was a strong proponent of having postpartum, right. and so this is the other side of that. You know, the Hopefully the health of the baby and the mother uh in the womb to make sure that we don't have to go to Blair Batson all the time. Uh now on on getting uh prior approval uh our for matters we, we believe we are um that ought to be uh less uh restrictive. We've already passed an uh, um, uh, a prior approval bill and it's gone to the House and I hope it'll be adopted by the House. So those are two parts of the healthcare delivery system. The third part, um, we passed a bill to uh, provide one hundred million dollars, one hundred three, I believe, million dollars to the uh, hospitals. Apparently, not all of it uh, was eligible because we used American resource, American AARP money. So we've gotten a number I think that's going to be around thirty-eight million that was not being able to use by the hospitals. So you'll see a bill coming out. Uh, very shortly to go ahead and fund that $38 million to the hospitals. So you're seeing those things uh, go along, the hospital part, the prior approval part, the presumptive part. All of those are coming with a view towards the final three or four, which are uh, what to do about the actual reimbursement for working people Mm -hmm. in Mississippi. And if you are going to reimburse working people, do you use uh, the North Carolina model that was just adopted, uh, the Georgia model that was adopted, the Arkansas model that was adopted, the Louisiana model that was adopted? You know, all of those should be considered, and uh, I don't don't know which one is the very best. You know, my goal is to make sure that I have healthy working people. And healthy working people pay taxes. They take care of their families. They are rooted in their community. Um, they stay at work,
0: and and with new house leadership, do you feel that there's a a better chance to 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 explore those plans that you mentioned?
2: Well, I, I think Speaker White has been pretty clear in the in the matters that I've heard him discuss on the radio and um, discuss uh, in print. That that he he believes that everything's on the table, and as I do, uh, my interest is motivated by the fact that I want uh, our. People to be healthy that are working, and the cost is so staggering for people who are working that may not have, be covered. People that are not working are already covered, of course, by Medicaid, and uh, most of them. Uh, if you're a single parent, you may not be, but but most of those are covered by Medicaid already. And uh, this is about people that are out here, trying to make thirty of thirty-five thousand dollars a year and working hard, and they they don't have access to health care and they can't afford it. And if they break a leg or something, they're just out. I think for us to have a labor force participation rate and people in our community and people taking care of their kids, you know, being invested in the community, leaders in the community, they got to be healthy.
0: One right. well, other thing that's come over already from the House is uh, online sports betting and, and, and not just the issue at State Care. We've talked, you know, multiple times in the past about You know, how you all, there's the session, but the work that you put in outside of the session, hearings, listening to stakeholders in various industries. Last fall, a number of uh, joint gaming committee meetings occurred that were laser focused on this this idea of online sports betting, uh, the problems with black market betting and how introducing it could affect casinos. And now we're well before deadline day. The House has advanced the plan. So two parts, you know, how is this piece of legislation, you know, addressing online gaming and whatever revenue might generate might be good for Mississippi and how, but also, you know, detail, those details aside, part B, you know, how does this is, how is this an example maybe of, of the legislative process working at its best?
2: Well, you uh, taking them in reverse order. If you will notice, there are joint hearings on health, there are joint hearings on gaming, there are joint hearings all across the board. That is by design by the speaker and myself. Uh, When our people are talking, we probably get a better product, quite frankly, versus us just adopting something, send it down there. What do y'all think? So the gaming was uh, one one way that we that we jointly look at issues. Now they have passed their bill, and it's coming down here. It'll go to gaming down here, and Senator Blunt, who's head of gaming, will take a look at it. I have uh, historically, and would say again today, that. Um, I have some reservations about, uh, like the LSU football player, mm-hmm. Boutte. Mm-hmm. He just got arrested, right, for betting on how many yards he was going to gain in a game
0: illegally as a, as an underage, um, right, you know, with a
2: false ID. Yep. And so, the you know we're at risk when we do that. And you've got a lot of eighteen, nineteen year old kids that are underage and they're playing sports that a lot of people bet a lot of money on and. Wow. Um, I think it's a risk. I particularly worry about the uh, health of our bricks and mortar. Our our gaming casinos have invested billions of dollars now in locations along the river and along the um, Gulf Coast, the Mississippi Gulf Coast. And it's a two billion plus business now. Uh, One of the larger businesses we have in the state, other than like healthcare, maybe in some others. But It's one of the largest businesses we've got. I want them to come to us and say, this is what we need to do for the business. Now, the amount of money we would pick up, obviously, it's always good because you can reduce taxes somewhere else probably. But uh, the amount of money involved uh, for the state is not nearly the amount of two point something billion dollars these people are bringing in every year and employing our They have huge workforces around the state in the Delta and Vicksburg, Natchez, uh, down on the coast. Uh, They're a driver of the economy. So I would like for them to be unified. If they're not unified and one thinks this is going to hurt bricks and mortars, and one thinks it's not, I want them to work that out rather than the legislature make a decision about a gaming industry that, for example, started paying their employees right after the hurricane's. They kept my people working
0: mm-hmm.
2: you know so they are neighbors and I, I trust their opinion and I want them to be have significant input into what the final decision is as a you know as a matter of policy uh, I have the policy concerns about our young people being tempted to make a bet on themselves like the LSU kid did I have some concerns about that but I don't know that those drive not allowing it I, I just have some concerns about it and we just need to make sure that our young athletes realize how how much they can affect the sport and also everybody that ever pays it again
0: shifting real quick to education the supreme court's actually hearing oral arguments as we speak uh, on the 2022 grant program created here in the legislature exclusively for private schools uh, using uh, mm-hmm. arpa funds uh, how closely are you and other leaders in the building watching that case considering that it could further inform how money could and couldn't be used to, to fund education programs
2: yeah Probably 40-something percent of our budget is in education, and the $10 million is a lot of money if you're from Warren County, where I'm from. But in the overall scope of things, it's not really uh, its not a significant amount of funds. The principle is the biggest thing, and is whether or not constitutionally the legislature can make a grant, whether it be $0.10 cents or $10 million to uh, private schools. Private schools do... Teach probably five or six percent of the total population, maybe a little more. Uh, homeschool is probably one percent or so, and then probably about ninety percent is is public education. So uh, the fact that there was that size of uh, legislative uh, uh, commitment to private schools is is not out of the range for how much money we devote to public education. That said. Um, we are going to follow the Constitution. So we, uh, the state, lost that in the lower court. It's now an appeal right. to the Mississippi Supreme Court. If they, if it is found, and this has to do with whether or not uh, you have, you can fund something that's not free. Uh, that's what the Constitution said. So if that comes about and they disallow that, then obviously we're not going to make any contributions that are unconstitutional. Or I'm not. I don't think the Senate is.
0: We're four years now, um, pretty much similar to, to, to the week when the, the state auditor and the Hines County District Attorney announced the, the arrest and the, the, mm-hmm. the charges related to the, the, the Tannis scandal. Now, considering the ongoing challenges, this, this thing is still not resolved. Uh, does the Republican supermajority have an appetite to look at how Mississippi distributes uh, temporary assistance for needy families?
2: I can't speak for the 52 people that are sitting out behind me here uh, in the Senate, I can speak for myself. I have one committee that Senator Johnson is heading that is going to look at nothing but the state government and the efficiencies that go with state government that is very focused on state government, its operations and whatnot. Uh, That would include everything you're talking about here, plus a whole bunch of other things that I have some concern about, for example, if um, if you don't show up for board meetings, I think you ought to be removed from the board. Mm-hmm. That's a pretty basis. What happens in real life and real people? So if you have two unexcused absences, you ought to be taken off the board, and the governor ought to reappoint somebody else who gives a flip about the, what they're doing. So um, there are things I I think like that that need to be addressed, and that will that will be broad based. We're we're not opposed to. Uh, looking at anything whether or not uh, agencies even stay in existence or not and then some of them have huge amounts of millions of dollars in their account and they're still billing people and they're issuing regulations which is a whole nother problem so yeah i i don't want to be myopic about saying that it's just going to be limited to one thing i think we're going to look at them all well Lieutenant governor hoseman that,
0: that i've asked you about a lot of things anything else you want to you want to toss out there
2: With one exception, um, we are in the best shape we have ever been in as a state. Uh, What's the exception? The exception is PERS. And um, we have paid off, uh, we'll have paid off by the end of this next year, $900 million in our state's debt. Uh, 24% of the state's debt has been wiped out. We haven't borrowed any money in two years. Uh, The $42 million that we owe to Amazon, we'll write a check for We're not borrowing money, which means I'm not borrowing for my grandchildren to pay off for me to have some political picture. Uh, We owed $80 million to this aluminum mill in Columbus. We brought them a check. And when I talked to Amazon, the people that were here from Amazon that made this election when they came in, they were uh, amazed that we weren't borrowing money for these things. And so it gives us a credibility that's not in other states. If you want to go up somewhere and they're going to borrow all this money, they worry who's going to pay it back. Are they going to raise taxes? Are their employees going to have to raise their taxes? All of a sudden. We're paying on the front end. We're paying down your credit card, and we're putting your money in the bank. And I think that's very, very important to us. In addition to $2 billion on roads and bridges, raising teacher salaries, uh, education, career coaches, now tuition Community college free uh, last dollar. Uh, we have now twenty thousand kids in pre-K, and that that will work its way through the system. We're thirty-fifth now, and and all of our test scores nationwide will be better than that next year. All all positive. And PERS is a huge liability.
0: So what what what's the solution?
2: I don't know. We're waiting on PERS. There was a hearing today that I, I was not privileged to be at. I had other meetings that was downstairs and they had uh, the executive director in talking about how can we get from here to there we could be uh, 20 billion dollars short or more uh short uh our commitment to retired employees is sacred we're going to pay whatever it is uh so now they're talking about doing a new level of retirement plan of some sort um in order to using my vernacular in order to stop the bleeding i guess um but we have a 20 billion dollar debt and we i intend to pay it and
0: and you've this new plan in Pers being that the one exception to all of this we talk a lot about brain drain especially the 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 teacher shortages you know across the state i mean while there are other state and state agencies and employee employers uh, the school teachers and education make up a large you know plurality of of state employees how does this PERS challenge are you afraid that it's going to affect teacher recruitment and retainment um and if so like how you know how do you shore that up
2: well uh, the first thing you got to do is honor your commitment first thing to do is pay the people we promised that worked here 20 30 40 years however they worked here enough to get vested first thing you do is pay your commitments then everybody else realizes that you're good for your word, you know and uh, that's the very first thing, I think. And then the second is if we design a new system to make sure that it's financially viable. And while we work through the you know, the next decade or two decades or however long the people that are already retired continue to draw over the next 20 or 30 years, um, while we work through the uh, significant amount of deficit that we have there, eventually on the other side, when um, my grandchildren are, our, are your age, uh, they won't have this liability anymore. So the new plan, whatever it comes up to be, and I, I haven't seen a written, a complete proposal from Pers. The new plan needs to be uh, sufficient and actuarially sound. This one is not. Thank you so
0: much. We appreciate the time you taking to get to us. It's good to see you. Call anytime.
3: News is all around us, and Mississippi Edition is the best way to stay informed about your community and what's happening across the state. I'm Desiree Frazier. Join us weekdays at 8.30 a.m. for a half an hour of in-depth discussions about important issues affecting your life. Mississippi Edition on MPB Think Radio, or you can also find us online at mpbonline.org and on demand wherever you get your podcasts.
0: This is At Issue on MPB Think Radio I'm Michael Gidry. Let's get straight to the point With views from both sides of the aisle We now welcome Austin Barber And Brandon Jones to our MPB studios Austin is a, is a Republican strategist And founder of the Clearwater Group Brandon is an attorney And a former member, Democratic member Of the Mississippi House of Representatives Gentlemen, welcome back to At Issue Thanks for
3: having us Yeah, really good to be here So let's
0: start with some of the things that have advanced to some degree. Uh, First, the House has passed a restoration of sorts uh, of the ballot initiative. It fixes the proportionate problem that was baked into the old system, uh, the whole four districts instead of five thing. But it also changes the signature requirement threshold, and it prohibits certain topics, notably abortion, from being eligible for a ballot referendum. So the the Mississippi Supreme Court made it pretty clear in its opinion back in twenty twenty. Uh, Two or one uh, That the proportionate issue was the Unconstitutional component here So Austin, you've been working on this Why not just address that And actually restore the process
1: Why these other things that's a really good question, and, and it's honestly, it's not one that comes up very often. I, I, I think the legis, legislature, legislators, perspective, you know, specifically, um, see, they have their own vision of what they want to do, and that's okay. It's not a problem with that. I, I think what uh, leadership and rank and file members see, Brandon, is that there are people on both sides of the aisle. When I say people, I should say voters, uh, Mississippians who think, you know what. This is a right that we have. This is in the state constitution. In the early 90s, this was put in the state constitution to give all Mississippians the opportunity to put a a policy issue on the ballot. This is not a right that we have at this point in time because the state Supreme Court took away the process. And the only thing we must have is the legislature to move forward. So legislators, leadership, and again, rank and file members, no, this is an issue we got to get done. It's been you know heavily debated the last two years. Uh, I, I am very grateful in the speaker. Uh, Chairman Price Wallace, Chairman Fred Shanks, for moving a bill very quickly, which is what they said they were going to do. They said, this is a priority issue, and we're going to move a bill early. They did. And just like any piece of legislation that starts over there, there's some really good parts to it and then there's some parts that are that are debatable. But this is this is sort of mile one of a marathon issue. This thing's gonna take a long time to get done at the Capitol because it's a complicated issue. And um I, I'm I'm very grateful that the that the speaker did what he said he was gonna do, which is to take this up early, because he knew the people wanted it, and he did that. And he made sure it got passed. Uh, the Senate will probably have their own uh, language. And, you know, both issues, I mean, both bodies will probably send it to, to conference, as Brandon knows that system very well. And there'll be there'll be a bill that ultimately gets worked out. And I, I, I think it'll have a really, really good chance of uh, passage sometime towards the latter part of the session.
0: Yeah, that quick and early um, we saw on the on the floor that some Democrats took objection to maybe how quick and early, Brandon?
3: Yeah, look, the new speaker, uh, Jason White, has a tremendous opportunity to be a unifying figure in the state. And and let's talk about process a little bit, and then we'll talk about the initiative. Uh, Speaker White is a nice guy. He is a great contrast, a breath of fresh air to the— Uh, 12-year term of Philip Gunn, who kind of spent most of his time skulking around the Capitol like most of the members owed him money. Um, But but Speaker White failed his first test of this kind of new approach to government because he, he went to the House Democratic Caucus and told them they would see the bill before it hit the floor. He told them that he would be very transparent in this process. And as we know, a lot of members in that body were totally surprised by what was there. And that was unnecessary. So, you know, there's one thing I want to address this early, that promise. But then there's another promise to members that you make as a leader of that body that I'm going to be transparent, that I'm going to read you in. He he failed that test. He can still fix that. But I think we're off to a bit of a shaky start relationally because there were some things that were said early about how he was going to run this this show a little bit differently. And then that first that first big test, you know, he came up short of that. Now, going back to the issue itself. The Supreme Court fouled this up. We know that. Uh, members of the Supreme Court did not have to go about this in the manner that they did. It's unfortunate they did it that way. We've had two sessions to fix this. Republican leadership has not taken the lead on this. I'm glad they are now. But they have been a little dilatorious. I mean it's it's been they've had plenty of opportunity to get on this. I'm glad they're looking at it now. But when it comes to the substance of it, there are bills that have been filed in the House and the Senate that would simply do what you asked about a moment ago, Michael just restore the process exactly as it fix is. Fix the
0: proportionment and just be fix done the with numbers.
3: It. Just fix the numbers. But now, as we look forward, I think, Austin, if at the end of the day the process is so hard that it doesn't allow people to access it, or if it restricts so many things that people don't know that they can do what they want to through it it's it's gonna probably not get the support it needs
1: yeah. yeah i i don't disagree i disagree with some of what you said i i think the speaker got a got a victory um, and there's always a process that takes place over there—a committee process, a floor process, where there's a chance to have amendments. But again, the speaker knew, knows what's going to go on with this bill. It, it things are going to go on for weeks, if not months, as we and it's it's just not going to go fast, and that's okay. That's probably the right thing. Let's have a real serious debate about this, particularly particularly um the, the you know the issues that really matter and and I do agree with you on this you've got to have a process that is doable let's not just have a process that only the super rich you know can can fund and have success what do i mean by that the signature count you know the signature count is a big part of this I personally think that the ceiling for a signature count is probably about 150,000 signatures. And what does that mean for those people who are listening at home? If I want to go put um, that that Brandon Jones can no longer live in Mississippi and I can get enough Mississippians to agree to you'd have put support. that on the ballot, I would. I'd have to have 150,000 people to sign the petition who were legal residents of Mississippi, um, registered voters of Mississippi. And um, they'd have to sign that petition, and then you'd have to get it certified, and then it would go to the ballot – and we get Brandon thrown out. Um, no, I'm just well, I to
3: your point, Austin, it's not too late in the process. And I know you have a, a voice in this process because you've been talking to members about it. It's not too late to reset it and to be more open because, you you know, this requires a two thirds vote. It does. Which means it's hard unlike, to do. Yeah. Which means I'm like a lot of issues. Democrats yeah. actually are needed in order to pass it. I think there still is plenty of opportunity to bring more people into the process. And I think that's going to be a necessary ingredient if I don't want disagree. to get
0: it done. Yeah. yeah. And well not only does it need a 2 thirds vote in each chamber, uh this would be a constitutional amendment. It would need ratification from yep. the people. We go to the and and we are living in a in a post Dobbs era now. Um we've seen in other states how the abortion issue has um has ignited voter turnout. And right now, as this bill stands, abortion would be off the table. Mississippi's current abortion law was passed in 2007. It's not the 2018 15-week ban from the Dobbs case that went before the Supreme Court that resulted in the end of Roe v. Wade. Um, That decision instead banned this this 2007 law, uh, which is a trigger law. Um, That law passed 17 years ago. That's That's a generation ago. And there are only currently 24 out of 122 legislators that were members of that body when that law passed. So, um, Brandon, you know, what does that kind of tell you when we look at the the, at the what we have right now? This is what we have. What does it tell you about the potential motivations for including this provision, this 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 ban or any other type of ban? Because this does have to go in front of the people to ratify whatever ballot initiative process comes.
3: Yeah, it's a good point, Mike. I mean, I'm I'm glad you injected that piece to it because it is going to have to be you know an issue for the voters. Th- there's no question that. There is some interest by Republicans to limit the scope of what this does. And and it it's, should be no surprise that choice is at the top of the list that gives heartburn to abortion. the folks who are putting this in. So I think I think
1: that
3: it's just it's just obvious to me. To me, it's just self-evident that there's going to be members who want to put their thumb on the scale with respect to that issue. But your point is a good one. We have seen even in places like Kansas where traditionally conservative places have said, you know, we would like to be able to touch this issue. Mm -hmm. I mean, what the Supreme Court did in Dobbs was they essentially said, we're kicking this back to the states. What Mississippi is saying, not so fast. We're not going to let you folks decide. So now the court has said, we're not going to let your, you know, we're not going to let a federal uh, uh, body decide this issue. Um, We're going to leave it to the states. And and Mississippi is saying, you know, with this current proposal, we're not going to allow for a, citizen's amendment to address that so, issue. So
1: that that could be problematic. So if I can respond, yeah, of um, course. I think for those people like myself and others who were working to see the ballot initiative process be put back into place, um, we're, we're, I'm pro-life. Let me just be very upfront about that. Not that that's a surprise to anybody, um, but I, so I have no issue with Republican leadership standing on the side of pro-life um, the, the pro-life issue on, on this, uh, on the ballot initiative issue, but I also know. Let me just tell you, I want the ballot initiative process to be, um, to to, to be an, a real option. It's not right now. If you, i mean, you know, this, you're going to agree with me on this. Let's say they pass the legislature signs a bill. Okay, it has no restrictions. And there's some legislators up there. I bet both Republican and Democrat who would agree we shouldn't limit what the people can put on the ballot. I'm going to tell you what would happen. That would go just like Michael said. Voters would have to ratify that in November. That whole ratification vote would be about abortion. That's all it would be about, because you'd have those who would go, if we pass this, what happened in Ohio, what happened in Kansas is coming to Mississippi, and we're going to have to deal with that. And I think ultimately voters would reject what the legislature passed, and that's not a good thing.
3: But you have to get an overwhelming majority, so I think Michael's point is a good one. An overwhelming one. You, majority you, for what? To, in order for this to pass at the ballot. It's not just a simple 50% vote. You have to have a certain percentage of those who you know, or voting that is day. It, it
1: is, is it a 60%? Well, no, let's, let's not get, like a get look too look deep into yeah. constitutional law. But
3: I mean, look, the, <laughs> Please, for me, the, don't. Uh, there the, is a threshold. There's a world in which the same thing happens, Austin, where p- people who would like to see an opportunity to vote on that rally support against a proposal. I think these are the types of questions we get into that are problematic because any time you take something off the table and you say you don't trust people to reach their own conclusions about it, there's going to be some I consternation understand. there. So I think But but you also this is good good evidence of of how problematic that can be. I
1: understand what you're saying, but I also know that bill ain't passing. If it doesn't have abor- have an abortion restriction. In. It's
3: just not. I, and I, I don't think that's true. Oh, I, it's I think, true. I think there are people of all stripes who could say, what are we actually talking I, about when we say ballot initiative? And where do you draw the line? Because everybody has a different pet issue that's important to them. And if we let I, a select few in leadership pers- decide, I'm taking I, this off. I, I get it.
1: It is hard for me to argue with you. Michael's about to throw his pen at me because he wants to stop talking <laughs> about this. Ten seconds. It's hard for me to argue with you about. Hey, let's not restrict specific issues, but also know that this abortion issue um, is is it's. I mean, it's it's polarizing in, on both sides, and so I, I understand your argument, but also uh, I don't think it will pass um, either this legislative session if it's not in there, or if it's not in there on the ballot in November, and I'll be quiet.
0: All right. Well, well, quick. Just, real quick. Based on that, if if this is baked into this ballot initiative uh, restoration bill, does it become does it become a referendum on abortion to you? Yes or no? Wait,
1: you gotta ask a question. If
0: if this if this ban is is baked into this bill, if the the, the restoration process that so goes before the voters includes a, a ban on putting any type of abortion issue on the ballot, does this then turn into a referendum about abortion?
1: Uh, I, I would have to look at Brandon on the left and say, are th- those that are pro-choice, would they be against this because of that? I, I don't think on the right it would be. I think
3: those possibilities exist. I mean, I think there's yeah. going to be resistance to any restriction. Mm-hmm. And and we just don't know. I mean, that's but right. look, as it stands right now, there's more than just that question that's restricted from the, that's this right. current proposal. I mean, there's a lot. In the House Medicaid version. Medicaid expansion would appear to be written out of it. There's a lot of issues that are... I mean, look, you say you're pro-life. You know what? I'm pro-life in the sense that I think people ought to have access to Medicaid if they can't afford insurance. I think that ought to be baked into well, the law. I also think, and, also, <laughs> I feel,
1: and I feel pretty confident, that le- just like on all these issues, just like on abortion or Medicaid expansion or PERS or any of these, the legislature can take those issues up if they want. A member can file a bill, leadership can act on it or not act on it, and that's why I think Medicaid expansion has always sort of been, oh, that that will be dealt with with a ballot initiative. I think that may be dealt with this, this yeah, legislative
0: but let's, session. Well, let's, let's look at what lawmakers are doing with Medicaid and, and, and the role it's playing. Because in the House, they have passed presumptive eligibility. Um, uh, it's one of the things that the House acted on quickly. It it's, it kind of follows the, the heels of of extending po- or yeah extending the postpartum coverage last year that, that that lawmakers took up. So we're seeing Medicaid, the role of Medicaid, in and in, in the different ways, uh, in this solution to the health care crisis. We're talking about Medicaid now. We kind of pivoted there. So what role? Um, well, or I should say, what does a move like this? Um, presumptive eligibility say about this legislative body, the leadership, and the role Medicaid will play in addressing the health
1: crisis? HB 539.
3: I, I think this is one of the most basic, humane things that this body could do. I, I don't give them nearly as much credit as Austin does. I think they've been obstinate on, the, on these issues. You know, from 2016 to 2020, 80% of the pregnancy-related deaths that occurred in this state were considered preventable. That is an indictment on all of us. And and leadership bears some responsibility for that. And I I do, as Austin knows, I get mad with folks running around, throwing the language of pro-life around if you're not taking care of babies after they're born. And we have a bad track record, probably the worst in the country, of taking care of poor children in this state. So this to me is a no-brainer. Having said all that. You, it's undeniably the right move to make. I mean, this is, what this does is it assures that moms and babies get that essential prenatal care without jumping through all of these hoops. Our Department of Medicaid has made the process needlessly hard. It, it, are, we have a, a chair of the Department of Medicaid who seems to take delight? and kicking people off the roll and keeping them from get on it. A law like this takes that issue out of his hands, which it's needs, it needs to be done because he's politicized that office. So I think it's a good step for parents. Go ahead. Oh, I, also, have you go ahead. I have to start there. I have
1: to start there. I think Drew Schneider is an excellent, uh, executive, direct, excellent executive director um, of Medicaid, does a phenomenal job. Uh, and, and yeah, he, he, he has made sure that that agency – um, does two things and does two things really well. One is that they take care of the people who who are who are uh, dependent upon Medicaid. Um, and secondly, he makes sure that the dollar that are sent there by the legislature, which are taxpayer dollars, are are um, that they that they are fiscally responsible for those dollars. But listen, what you're talking about on this bill, you said how could anybody be against it? Well, you're right. I mean, it, it passed hundred and seventeen to five. This, of course, is Chairman Missy McGee from Hattiesburg, who is the new chairman of Medicaid. Uh, it, It would be really difficult to find an issue with this. This is a good thing. This is a good thing. If you were a fiscal conservative, okay, well, this should help save Medicaid dollars because if a young mom, okay, can get into the doctor and do regular doctor visits, it's much less likely that there will be an issue with the mother or with the child. And if, and if Medicaid is going to be um, financially responsible to take care of their, their healthcare needs, that's a good thing. It's a good thing from a humane side of it. I, I totally agree. But if you're a fiscal conservative, this is also smart policy. Okay, you yeah. can argue both that, sides of it. That
0: I was about to ask. It, it sounded like you were framing this more of as a, as a, as a fiscal issue, not, no, not a I'm issue, if, but, no. I'm saying sp- if no, if you are to. a
1: fiscal, if you're like, hey man, all I care about is you know managing and taking care of the taxpayer dollars. Well, this is a, this you can go vote for this bill, which obviously a lot of them did because 117 people voted yes on this, and it and you know you know we'll see if there's a, a Senate companion bill or if the Senate just takes up this bill. Uh, I, I I think it'll be. Um, I think it'll fly through. Speaking of flying through, um, two
0: special sessions within the regular session, each a day long, passing two pretty significant economic development projects. Uh, They both received bipartisan support. Uh, Though Democrats uh, did question why there's a pattern of these large deals kind of popping up East of 55, so uh, and lots of with with all this, lots of promises for high-paying jobs in exchange for some pretty generous tax breaks for these corporations. Uh, Just you know, quick answer: What's your uh, Brandon? We'll start with you. What's your your take on these uh, these two special sessions and the fruits of them?
3: Look, I mean, these bills passed overwhelmingly. So, I mean, clearly there's there's wild support for a lot of this stuff. I I think. we, we have a bad history in Mississippi of slapping economic development on an idea and then not vetting it as fully. There's no reason this couldn't have gone through the full process. And the people west of I-55 should, should be looking at the legislature going, when are we going to get some economic development?
1: Uh, well, I mean, let's, let's be honest. The Amazon, the AWS plant is located west of I-55, I understand. Technically, it is west of I-55, and there are going to be a lot of people from Baham County, Yazoo County, Humphreys County, Holmes County, Warren County, that are going to come over there and work at that at that facility, just like they have done at the Nissan plant for over, for over 20 years. Look, they're great things. I mean, $10 billion in, in, you know, economic investment in the state, it's, it's phenomenal. Uh, what happened in Marshall County, I, I'm, I'm sure we all heard this, this talking point, which is a really good one. Uh, the average salary at that facility up there. There is going to be sixty six thousand dollars a year, which is nearly twenty thousand. But what's more. the median salary? Do we know that? It's
0: sixty six thousand dollars a year. Uh, well, no, that's I mean, well, but but how many? It's fat, sixty fat checking, Michael. It's sixty six.
1: Th- it is sixty six thousand dollars a year. Median household income up there is forty eight thousand dollars a year. So it's a good thing. Hey, if you're against jobs and investment, I'm gonna go let you be against jobs and investment. I'm gonna be
0: for it. Just oh saying. I mean, mean, and mean, mean and median are different, and so um, this guy. so just, I was. It was just a question. All right, we'll, we will. We'll have to. We'll have to leave it there. The, of course, there's issues we can't get to, uh, but we we are we are hitting the time. Um, we're, we're running out of time. So once again, um, Brandon Jones, Austin Barber. Thank you for joining us. This has been At Issue on MPB Think Radio, a weekly discussion about the 2024 Mississippi legislative session. At Issue can be streamed online uh, at the, at the, with the MPB public media app or download the podcast from any of your usual podcast sources. I'm Michael Guidry from all of us at MPB. Thank you for listening.